I'm George Mason, host of Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. My guest today is Gordon Keith, a radio personality and writer in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he's gonna talk about his own faith journey. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. We're glad you've joined us, and I'm delighted that my first guest for Good God is Gordon Keith. Gordon, welcome. Thank you, George. Really glad to have you. Oh, great to be here. Um, many people already know who you are, but it's been 24 years that you've been with The Ticket mm -hmm. and 22 years on The Morning Show. Right. Uh, so you have a, a radio personality in town, but uh, also I think um, many people have come to know you through your writing of the Dallas Morning News uh, and uh, other ways in the community that you've been involved. Most people probably don't know that you were born into a Baptist family Correct. And your dad was a Baptist pastor, who was a colleague of mine, as that's a matter right, of fact. That's right. That's right. You yeah. knew my father. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, he was a, a minister in the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. And, uh, and so I grew up a preacher's son my whole life. And uh, he ended up, the, the last church that he was at was a First Baptist Church of Richardson. Right. And, um, and of course, you, you and he know the battles of the Southern Baptist Convention, oh, you know, my. that yeah. uh, right. uh, I think soured him a bit on the... Uh, on the, the work it takes to... Well, to, and if there was a, a way to talk about being on the same side we were, right. you, might, you might say. You hate to talk about sides in religion, but there are obviously different ways that even within Baptists or Christians or uh, any groups, they sort of look at the world differently and, mm -hmm. and, and think about the faith differently. Yeah, and I came to know you through my yeah. father. You know, yeah. he would... Uh, right. I remember when I was looking for a, a church home when I was... Uh, in my 20s, and I said, you know, yeah, I wish I'd had, uh, you know, a church home that kind of believed a little bit more like I did, rather than the, the top-down fundamentalism authorita authoritarian approach. And yeah. and your name came up, and I was oh, one nice. of the first one to go. Oh man, you'd love George. He's great. He's real. He's intellectual, and he's open-minded, and he's uh, uh, conversant in in, in all the. Um, uh, intellectual pursuits that you tend to enjoy and so well that's and that's not that, that's actually something I think people would be interested in knowing about you that you are as well the first time that we met uh, you uh, invited me to lunch and we uh, you know we're, we're sitting there having a conversation and you pull out a book that you're reading Leslie Weatherhead's The Will of God The Will of God Leslie Weatherhead, right uh, all, all <laughs> this uh, uh, conversation about the role of free choice and what how does God let things happen or make things happen and right. those sorts of things. So about the problem of evil. The problem you know? of evil, mm -hmm. exactly. So okay. this Which still fascinates me to this day, you know. I still right. look for some uh, theodicy that's gonna square that with me, but. Right, right. Is somebody buzzing? I don't know. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like we have some phone going off here. Yeah, that's, okay. I think that's God calling and not okay. approving of our conversation okay, so Okay, probably so, oh, well, no. anyway. Uh, well, especially you know, even with my microphone here. Uh, so, uh, so you, the philosophy and theology have been a, a, a part of your adult pursuits, but I think it'd be also be interesting to talk about uh, your formation mm -hmm. in uh, growing up in the Baptist church. What, what are the things that were positive for you and what are those things that linger that were negative experiences growing up a preacher's kid or being a Baptist? Right. The thing that the things that were positive for me, I, I may not have appreciated fully when I was in it. 
as a kid, but it was the, the sense of a broader family and it put me in contact with uh, people, uh, older people like my parents that weren't my parents. Ah, right. And so right. it was just uh, getting to, to be part of a, a community that wasn't associated with my school or just yeah. with my neighborhood and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so that, uh, looking back on that, I look back on a lot of the people that I knew through the church um, and I find their lives still to be instructive in some way. Right, right. Uh, the negative parts of it were, you know, I was in a unique position in that church and uh, in church because my father was always the pastor. So right. I never got to fully exist naturally within that uh, ecosystem, you know, because uh, being the pastor's son came with a, a higher degree of scrutiny. Right. Uh, it came with an additional uh, responsibility, not just to be a good person in my own right, but also to have to be a, a good son publicly to my father, yeah. which I found very hard to do because I was a class clown, I was a cut up in school, and so I was kind of a, right. a benevolent mischief maker. I never stole cars or you know set buildings on fire, but I was a, I was a cut up and mm -hmm. kind of a re well, rebel in that way. Yeah, yeah, well that sort of caricature of the preacher's kid too in exactly. a way, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. Although my kids, I think, uh, had similar experiences, they would say, that the best thing and the worst thing about being a preacher's kid is that everybody knows you. Exactly. Uh, so sometimes that felt really good because you felt that sense of belonging and, mm -hmm. and people were pulling for you and interested in your life. And at other times they just wish they'd been anonymous and they right. could just kind of like go their own way like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, know? you want to be afforded the, the human stumbles that regular people will get without as many eyeballs on them, you know, and right. And without as much judgment, you know, because there is that uh, element of, of church that, that does have that uh, judging eye, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like we, you know, a lot of times we think of parenting as a mechanical uh, input in equals input out, and there's right. a ghost in the machine there, which right. is the individual. And so right. I didn't want things that I did to be wholly reflective of my, of my parents' parenting because I, did, right. I don't think that that is the case, you know. I mean, I made some of my own choices. Right. Right, and, and we all still do, and that's part of the magic of all of this is, uh, going back to Leslie Weatherhead, how much of our life is God's influence in us and God's activity in our lives, uh, and, and how much of it is just the, the things that happen to us from others and how much from the things we do, right? Mm -hmm. it's a, it, the answer is it's not one thing, it's all this mix, isn't it? The mm -hmm. alchemy of all these relationships among things. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know, um, you know, God is, a, is an interesting, is, is kind of been one of the overarching questions of my life. What do I feel about God uh, from God's existence to God's nature? And, you know, I, I, at any one particular time, you know, I, I could give you a different answer as to where I stand on that. One thing that, I, that is a constant, no matter what I believe whether it's in the existence of God or whether there isn't a God or what his nature is, is that I know that we as humans have one tremendous superpower and that is the ability to afford meaning to things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in all the experiences that we have, is it God directing them? Is it us? Is it just the fates or the roll of the dice? One thing we get to decide is what kind of meaning we're going to place on an event mm -hmm. and we can lay it at someone's feet Right. And what we should do is, is approach it to where I want to have the most useful beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I differ from a lot of 
Christians and atheists. I think atheists don't like me because I'm kind of a uh, religion, religious apologist um, and talk about the value of belief and the value of spirituality. And then I, I think a lot of people of faith, I, I rub them the wrong way because I, I talk about that it doesn't matter whether these things are true in some sort of factual sense, right, that religion right. doesn't matter. What matters to me is, is the belief in God useful and meaningful in my life. Right. right. And, and to me, that's, that's the most important thing. But a lot of people need it to be, you know, they search for scientific proofs of God's existence and all these kinds of things that I, I personally have found to not be uh, meaningful pursuits in my life because I right. think it distracts me from, well, what is leading a, a godly life regardless of whether there's a God or not. To right. me, that's the most, that's more important. It really is an extraordinary thing whether you conceive of human existence as something that is merely um, the product of God's immediate decision to make you a human being or as the product of God's activity in uh, evolution where there comes a, a growth of consciousness that mm -hmm. is a leap into the capacity for human beings to stand over against themselves and to think mm -hmm. about their lives and to think about the world. Uh, it, it's, it, it's really uh, this m meaning making that you're talking about is a product of that. And it seems to me uh, that if we have the capacity to be able to do that, uh, that it should be such an accident is, is hard to understand, that, that there must be someone thinking about me if I'm also thinking about someone mm -hmm. else and about myself. And so there's this, I think, uh, reciprocity between the visible and invisible worlds that we experience that is uh, fascinating to me in this human meaning making that we're mm -hmm. talking about. I remember yeah. one of the first things that you and I, uh, at least one of the ones I remember talking about when you and I shared a heart-stopping cheeseburger and cheese fries <laughs> together one time, was this, this idea of, I remember we talked kind of about, about the idea of an open canon or closed canon, where ah, the scripture right. is still being written today. Right, right. And I'd shared with you kind of this, my own personal frustration with the idea that everyone seems to act as though there's this closed canon, like the Bible is done. It was right. written and then that's it. And I had asked you, you know, why, why do we think that Scripture's not being written now? Because I, mm. I can read a, a C.S. Lewis book or an M. Scott Peck book that is just as meaningful or more to me mm. uh, than something that's in the, uh, the 66 books. And, right. and you, uh, we had discussed that. And, and I think that that, I wish that those kinds of questions were talked about outside of seminaries more among just, sure. you know, silly right. lay people like me who just right, are... Right because we look for something that is relevant to us and that means something to us. And when mm -hmm. religion seems too far out of our lives or, or somehow separate from us, right, right. Then, it, then those questions don't get talked about. And uh, I think a lot of well-meaning seeking people mm -hmm. don't seem to find a home in religion when they should find it there. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting you talk about the Bible in that way. And I, I think this is actually quite a practical question, not just a theoretical question, because we search for answers to questions about uh, our everyday experience, direction for how we ought to think about this or how we ought to act. And, and, and the, if you step back from the whole thing and you say to yourself, well now, would God really have just chosen this moment in the whole history of the world from this calendar date to this calendar date 
to drop and deliver every bit of wisdom right. in, for the history of the world between the covers of these you know, two, mm -hmm. uh, two, two uh, leather bound covers and, 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 and then you're done. Right, right, and then God what sits back and gives you the, the presence of the Spirit, so that all you have to do is look backward. Right, right, and, and and every question then is decided only on the basis of well, what does it say? Done. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to me that that's the way God normally works in giving us minds to think and in allowing us to discover new truths in nature and exactly. science and all of that. So maybe it's time for us to see the significance of this as uh, a, a way that people were thinking about their lives in faith and what God helped them to understand so that it becomes a reference point for us that is not just about doing or saying what they said, but actually learning to think like they thought. Right. Uh, learning, learning to d discern and determine uh, how to think about their lives in relationship to God. I think it's a fascinating question that you're right, we don't talk about enough in church. Right, because if, if God is, is uh, obviously still here, still alive, and He's, mm -hmm. he, and he's um, imminent, right? He's everywhere, He's inside us and everything, mm -hmm. then He's always instructing and He should always be, in my mind, interacting. And right. so He's not confined to the pages of those books. I can find God's words in your right. mouth or in an atheist mouth that says right. something that means something to me spiritually. Right. Um, that that he's he's always working uh, in various religious traditions and and in places that you don't think he is, you know. But we we're, we kind of at least I was given that as a kid that this was something because it had the patina of antiquity on it. These right. books of the Bible that right. somehow gave them more authority. And it seems to me like religion and probably magic are the only two things that we think antiquity lends more credibility to something than anything else. If I get right. a science book, you know, from 1700, I, it's kind mm -hmm. of hilarious, the, the worldview oh, that they yeah, would have. Oh yeah, absolutely. Know? And yeah. we think we're so much beyond, and, and mm -hmm. any other book we would say the same thing about, but when it comes to religion or magic, we think, well, well they, even though this is a story I completely wouldn't buy if it came out today, right. it has some sort of authority because of its age. Right. There's some value to this in that it's time-honored. Right. I acknowledge right. that. There's another way of thinking about it that maybe I should be looking for Scripture uh, in something that's not in, those, in the Bible. So let's pick this up a little bit uh, in a moment. We're going to uh, toss it to a promotion of a, a partner who is in the community doing some good work and uh, say a few words about that. But I'd like to pick up this idea of conservative and progressive, going back and going forward, and mm -hmm. how this seems to be a problem in religious communities and in political life as well today, right. and how we reconcile those two things. All right. Okay. The Wilkinson Center mission is to transform the lives of Dallas families by providing pathways to self-sufficiency with dignity and respect. The Center fulfills that mission by helping families face critical life challenges, including food insecurity, lack of education, economic instability, unemployment, and underemployment. Their formula for success is case management, compassionate staff, dedicated volunteers, and effective individualized programming. All programs are provided free of charge. 
Since its inception, Wilkinson Center has distributed in excess of 5 million pounds of food, more than half to children. With comprehensive case management services, Wilkinson Center extends a full breadth of programs to its clients and helps them obtain additional social services such as food stamps and Medicaid. Education is fundamental to overcoming and breaking the cycle of generational poverty. And Wilkinson Center's programs provide a path to self-reliance and financial independence. Good God with George Mason is pleased to salute the great work of the Wilkinson Center in our community. So we were talking about this idea of how society, the church, all of our religions seem to live within this tension of conservative and progressive. And there's different labels for that, but there's an impulse in some that says what is of most value is what was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then there are others who say what is it most of most value is what is at the end. Mm -hmm. And somewhere it seems that we have to figure out how to put together the legitimacy of each of these without giving them absolute weight. What are exactly. your thoughts about that? I completely agree with you. It's it's. You know, it's so funny, in, we are, of course, in the midst of these culture wars between progressive and conservative, and, and each side feels right, yeah. you know, and that's very important to them to be right. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems like very few of them take a step back and go, both of these things are right in some way, and right, both right. of these things are necessary. The push right. and pull of progress, whether it's cultural or spiritual or religious, depends on both of these forces, yes. progressive right. and conservative. Right. And it's the traditional concept of yin and yang, right? Yeah, we right. need both of these things mm -hmm. in order to be whole. Yes. But we tend to ignore, we, we have a tendency to want to dismiss the other side. Yes. And as opposed to appreciating and learning from the other side. Right. We're so obsessed with being right, we don't want to be well. Right, right. So it, it does seem to me that uh, if you're more of a progressive bent, uh, it would be helpful to be able to answer the question, is there anything of enduring human values mm -hmm. that has come from antiquity? You know, right. that, that were these people really um, just proto-humans uh, waiting for us to come along? Mm -hmm. uh, or was there something about their experience of the world that is worth our knowing? Right, you know? and, and I absolutely feel that uh, that the uh, Bible, including the, the Old Testament, is of instructive value. Right. And a lot of progressives, you know, this is kind of funny because I've seen um, atheists and, and believers argue, uh, and it's usually fundamentalist uh, believers and, and atheists mm -hmm. argue about, let's say for the example, the existence of God or um, the veracity of, of this particular religion, which would be fundamental Christianity. And they both argue from a literalist perspective. Exactly. Which is, which is Just crazy. Two they have the sides same of the mindset. same coin. Exactly. It's, 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 it's like Jerry Falwell, and I think Madeline Murray O'Hare uh, right. had, uh, had a big debate at, sure. at SMU. And they were both arguing from the same position, which right. there's only, it's either you take the Bible literally and use right. it to disprove religion, or you take it literally and that's why it's true. And both of them completely missing the point of some of these older stories, which right. they don't, it doesn't even matter whether they were literally true. What right. matters is, is another kind of truth. Another kind of truth is not an inferior truth right. to scientific truth or to uh, historically provable, verifiable truth or something of that nature, mathematical proof. Uh, there is a way to talk about 
friendship and love and fidelity and things of that nature uh, through narrative, through story form, that uh, it doesn't matter what point in human history you are, that's our common experience, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. And, and finding uh, those, some of the, you know, really and truly, there's probably only a handful of stories in all of human history, and we dress them up and put different clothing on them, but there, there are these archetypal stories. Uh, many of them contain in the Bible and other mythologies This contain, you know, that mm -hmm. these speak to the human soul and always will. Right. I mean, right. I, I think that it is no coincidence that the biggest blockbuster movies that we have are these archetypal ah. stories of superheroes and their trials exactly. and tribulations and all this because we've done so much to remove religion from mm -hmm. our public life right. um, that we've just, we're trying desperately to replace it in yes. so many ways. Ah, and good, and good. I think that, that those things are related. Right, right. And now if we could just realize that in some of those archetypal stories, uh, the uh, the root of them is still violence somehow mm -hmm. in order to solve those problems. And, and, and religion, as, as I understand it, is about learning to confront the futility of using violence against someone else uh, in, in pursuit of a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, ultimately, this, when I look at the Bible and I look at all of our faith traditions, but particularly biblical tradition, you actually can see this movement from a kind of tribalism and a need to um, exterminate your neighbor and even use the name of God to do so, to this uh, love your enemies and do mm -hmm. good to them that hate you and you know consider the poor and uh, care for your neighbor. And here, here in this program, we're calling it Good God for th that kind of reason that we think religion should have a salient, positive, nonviolent influence of love in our community. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that, that to me is the brilliance of, of, of Christ uh, in the New Testament thinking is that here is this version of thinking about God and your life that is, was so foreign to a lot of people back then. Mm -hmm. um, the, the idea of Christ being um, a king in a very different way than had to do with political power. I mean, right. this is revolutionary, you know, right. and, and at the time, this is why he's rejected, you know, this, this right. other way of thinking of power and of, and of earthly mm -hmm. authority than just being the head of a tribe that can vanquish enemies and things exactly. like that. And the, yeah. the idea that you would turn your other cheek to an enemy is just revolutionary. And I it think absolutely that we've heard is. it so much now, maybe people don't appreciate, you know, how, um, paradigm breaking that seemed oh, to be. Oh my goodness. I mean, even Jesus' own disciples tried to scold him and rebuke him into adopting the prevailing paradigm, which was the love of power. Mm -hmm. And he kept saying, no, it's the power of love. Right. And how we get converted is really not just about, um, you know, raising your hand or uh, going to the front and kneeling and praying, but whether God is transforming us from that paradigm of, of the, the love of power to the power of love, I think. Right, yeah. and, and you know, one of the things that I think, and you had mentioned this before we, we started rolling here about the idea of what has, how has religion changed, how does it feed into our life? And one of the things that I find interesting and don't know the answer to is how should religion respond to modern day uh, needs and we've seen a shift in the church over the past you know s several decades that got into more self-help type religions right, right. and 
and it fits in perfectly with their Western tradition of capitalism, and it's very mm -hmm. me, you know, mm -hmm. it's about right. how does this serve me, and how, does right. it, how do I lead my fullest life, and, right. and how do I live in service of maximizing my own life, and, and uh, I think that we would actually do better to go back to this model of service, you know, uh, this idea of, right. of servicing others is like the greatest spiritual tonic that there is. And it's available to us, but we just don't think in those terms anymore. And churches have had to kind of switch to get more prosperity gospel-y and, and maximizing, you know, be your best self. And, uh, but not be your best self for to help others. It's be your best self to lead the most bad, can I say ass? Yeah. Well, badass it's, life it's fine. in yeah, the world. Right. Uh, yeah. But it's making you the star of your own movie, which to me yeah. seems like it's uh, always going to be disappointing and we now have technology you read these stories about teens and the devices and we have more convenience and more free time than we've right. ever had and more riches and right. just it's unbelievable the embarrassment of riches that we have in this right. culture even from the lowest middle class are rich beyond they're still point exactly. one percent of people who's ever world. lived exactly right and and right. we're more miserable you see all right. these studies of happiness index goes down it's a, it's a bottomless pit isn't it right I mean, the, because the, you can never satisfy precisely. the human being who is the spiritual being that does have a hole in the center of him and as long as we keep throwing smartphones or even just any worldly experience in there it, we're never going to be satisfied yet we're always convinced we're one purchase away from happiness and all this sort of thing but because the idea is we're trying to treat a spiritual malady, which right. we are all born with, right. with things that will never be the, exactly. have the medicinal value that we want them to. Right. And I think that it will come back to this idea of service and getting out of your own head mm -hmm. is the only way to make your own head right. So, you know, you, you mentioned that service aspect and turning to others. And, and that really is the essence of what Jesus said when he talked about uh, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Uh, if, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, right. you'll find it. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it sounds like an ancient wisdom uh, that you can hear from other places, but it's, it's fundamental to overcoming this uh, self-centeredness, isn't right. it? That is, uh, it's just a losing game in the end because there's no, there's no fixing you by attending to you. There's none. There's, yeah. there's it, if you try to satisfy yourself, you're trying to satisfy an unsatisfable creature. Right. And right. Uh, it, you know, one of the best religious programs I think there is is Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, right. And uh, and I know that that you know some people have. Uh, don't know much about it or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's just a spiritual program right. and it doesn't have to be alcohol That's the particular um, mm -hmm. Shortcoming that it's treating, you know, they use that mm -hmm. same 12-step model, but it's a sure. spiritual program Right, and you think about one of the fundamental aspects of that that makes people whole again is uh, This idea of doing things for others yes. when it's the service to others that will right. ultimately uh, fill that spot in you that you were trying to pour alcohol into or right. trying to pour drugs into because right. I think most alcoholics and I used to be a problem drinker you know it was trying to drink to get back to that Garden of Eden to get back to that sense of uh, maternal warmth that I associate with God right, um, right. Uh, 
it's it's you know we're like I said uh, one time in a column for the morning news you know we're all born two drinks shy of happiness yeah you know that's what yeah. it feels like we're all two beers shy of feeling right. whole right. Uh, the problem with that drinking is you get two beers and you get that per to titrate it just perfectly right. is so hard to do because you're only in that zone for a short period of time right, and right. Then you drink too much right, right you know and you're out of that zone where you feel like oh I love the world and the world loves me right you get beyond that but that I think drinking is a lot of people trying to sure. um, feel spiritually whole. They just don't. Right. They think it's in the in a glass. Mm. And and it's not all about self denial in the sense of like being an ascetic or something of no. that nature. It's you know Aristotle talked about the golden mean, and there's there's that sense of you talked about that that zone. You mm -hmm. know I think I think part of the secret of of, of life is that we. We, we learn that moderation that allows us to live fully and to flourish because we've not weighted ourselves down with indulgence and we've right. not exhausted ourselves in, uh, in throwing our life uh, to other pursuits. But we, we have that sort of flow, that sort of uh, healthy perspective of give and take that it's just the way God made us. Yeah, and moderation know? is the key in most things. It's, it's yeah. so wild as, yeah. as much as I've traveled through life, it's, it seems like most wisdom to me comes down to, well, really just the serenity prayer. Yeah. If you look at the serenity prayer, um, I think Reinhold Niebuhr was a- Reinhold Niebuhr, yeah, right. Uh -huh. um, but that to me is basically every time I go chasing some path of wisdom, mm -hmm. I find that ultimately I come back to something that'll be, oh, well, wait, that's just, that wasn't just reworked to the serenity prayer. Exactly. Uh, and most of the old lessons are, are the best lessons. And right. I think that no matter how much our lives change cosmetically, you'll find that human wisdom is merely uh, just different, differently cloaked versions of the same types of truth, you know. And that's why, you know, Socrates, Buddha, and Jesus, those three figures right there, you can find a lot of wisdom in those three. Well, Gordon, thank you for uh, engaging in this conversation with us and uh, oh, loved it. talking about God and faith and the common good. We appreciate you being here. No, thank you, George. Great. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you.